friends, Romans, countrymen, and Americans that are of Latin descent, because that would also kind of make you Romans in some way. Lend me your ears and your eyes and maybe some of your other senses as well, because it's Joel live. Joel, come here. How you doing? Good to see you. Got another great show for you today. And of course, uh, before we get started, going to ask you to go ahead and share that we're here because that's what social is all about, right? You're like, all right, I don't know what Joel's going to talk about today. I don't know who this Tim Washer guy is, but he writes for, he's written for SNL and he's written for John Oliver and he, 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 and he writes in his diary every night and, and writes about all the, the wonderful experiences he's had for the day. And he has spoken all over the world about teaching people how to use humor in their marketing to sell more stuff. And that's what you want to do in business. You want to sell more of the things, more of the stuff. So please go ahead and share that we're live right here. Glad to see you guys. Welcome. Um, we always say when we're you know doing a show, come on in as though somehow turning the on the video and giving your attention with your eyes and your ears to a video in Facebook is like entering a room, entering another dimension, if if I may, if you may. Anyway, shout outs to those of you coming in here. Hey, Patricia, nice to see you. Tim, buddy, always a pleasure to, to hear from you. Uh, Lara, nice to see you. And um, just by freedom of association here, word association, I'm playing Lara Croft's new Tomb Raider game, which is not the same as the Lara who's with us here today. Um, James, good to see you as well. Hello, Larry. If you'll comment below, I'll see your comments, be able to put them on screen and then we will build the excitement to a crescendo when I finally bring my, my guest on. And it's going to be amazing. By the way, I made him laugh yesterday, which is great because he's the comedian. I'm just a clown. I'm funny looking and that's it. Uh, he's actually funny. Todd, good to see you. Welcome. Nice to see you here. And again, this is Joel.live using the BeLive.tv platform to do this cool stuff. In fact, the things you see, I'm producing on the fly using BeLive.tv. Um, the lower thirds, I'm clicking this stuff right here. I'm clicking on the comments that are happening on Facebook. But look how nice they show up right here on Facebook because I'm using BeLive. How fun is that? Hey, Rob. Good to see you. Welcome aboard. Ian, good to see you. Friar Wade, welcome to the fold. Hey, JD, nice to see you as well. You guys are in for a treat. And with that, we are going to get started. The topic for today, how humor can help you sell more stuff is what I wanted to say. There's only so many. It's like Twitter. There's only so much space. How humor can help you sell more stuff. My guest today is the one and only Mr. Tim Washer. Tim has spent a couple of decades at Fortune 100 companies like IBM, Cisco, Accenture, and uh, you know, he the whole corporate thing, he can do it, but what he really is passionate about is comedy. And he has been a comedy writer and actor during this whole time, writing um, and sitting under the tutelage of su some such as Amy Poehler of Saturday Night Live. He's written for The Late Show, Conan 
Rogan's show. He's written for John Oliver's show. He's been in uh, commercials with names and faces that you will recognize. And what he has a, an ability to do, because he's worked both in the corporate world and in the comedy world, is to merge the two to help businesses understand how to infuse their marketing with humor so that they can be more effective with their marketing and sell more stuff. That's the idea. And with that, I'd like to welcome Mr. Tim Washer to Joel Live. Hello, Tim. Hey, Joel. Thanks for having me on the show. That's not funny. I. That's not funny at all. It's funny because I got kicked off last time and I didn't think I'd ever be back. <laughs> Isn't it like as a humorist and a comedian, don't you hate when you meet somebody and they're like, make me laugh? I do hate that, as a matter of fact. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and right, right below that on the list is, uh, hey, I got a funny one for you. And then they go on and tell me a joke and then they'll give me permission to use that uh, in the next show. So, uh, yeah. yeah. In itself, that's funny, right? Yeah. You yeah. can use that. I just wrote that myself as a fart yeah. joke. It was really good, but you can use it. Yes, exactly. I just recycled that from the Facts of Life uh, <laughs> sitcom replay. Good for you. Yes, absolutely. All right. Let, let's uh, I don't want to dwell too much on your background because it is lurid um, to be sure. But why don't you go ahead and kind of uh, put some meat on that skin and bones that I just shared about your background? Yeah. So uh, I started off my, after college working in sales at Xerox and did that for about five years and always planned to get into marketing. Went back to uh, business school at uh, UT Austin and studied technology marketing, that kind of thing, and then moved up to New York City and worked as an analyst there. And it wasn't till, you know, I was probably like 29, I think, when I realized I was supposed to do comedy with my life. So, and I realized I was just really late because people who do this, uh, like in S for Saturday Night Live, that kind of thing, they're usually people who are just out of Harvard typically or some Ivy League school, uh, you know, they're 22, 23. And so I figured, well, this is not gonna work out. I, I just don't have, like, I'm not qualified for this. Uh, but I started telling friends I was going to do this, and a buddy said, oh, go! Uh, you should go to this place called Upright Citizen Brigade and take improv. So I did that, and uh, Amy Poehler was my instructor, as you mentioned, and this is before she got on SNL. Uh, she's probably one of the most gifted teachers I've ever had, maybe second only to uh, Janice Reed, my sophomore Latin teacher in high school. She's right up there. And I uh, got to learn improv with her and uh, the folks at UCB, and then later on went on and uh, uh, when she got on SNL, got to do some small acting and some uh, freelance writing for their show, uh, uh, the Weekend Update. That's all involved there. And then things just started happening from, from there, doing stand-up in New York. And uh, it's just like anything else. You know, you just start networking and you uh, hone your craft a bit and get things out there and people will find you and, and doors open. Yeah. And then so I – but but – I started right when I started doing Conan work. I, I, would, I would do sketches on Conan O'Brien pretty regularly, a couple times a month. And uh, this is when they were still in New York. And then my daughter was born, and I still wasn't doing enough. I wasn't paying the bills. You know, I had to go get a dental plan uh, to cover that. So I got on at IBM as a speechwriter and stumbled into that job. I just thought, well, maybe if I work for the events team, I can MC some stuff and maybe write some funny jokes for speeches and that kind of thing. Uh, so I took the job and again, feeling like I was totally unqualified for it. And uh, like four months into the job, uh, 
I was planning the communications plan for the upcoming year, what we needed to do. And uh, the, the head of sales was telling me, you know what, we got a problem with our mainframe sales force. They, they don't really listen to the customer. They go in with these huge PowerPoint presentations. It's all about IBM. They don't know the customer's business or the industry. Uh, so we need to change that through communications. And I thought, you know what, that's a comedy video. We should make a comedy video. And uh, that's, how the, that's how this career started. Because uh, IBM is not inherently funny at all. No, it's, that's where humor goes to die. <laughs> so, yeah. um, somebody commented, and and I agree with them. You need a better microphone. Oh man, I'm sorry. I just had somebody. Uh, bring that's me. not that's not funny either. No, it's not funny at all. And I apologize. I'm traveling, and I lost my adapter that goes into the. Uh, are, are you on an airplane right now? Is I'm on an airplane as we speak. Yes. So, okay. I think, does anybody need snacks? You want some more peanuts? Anybody? It's a full full size Airbus right there that looks a lot like your living room. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Uh, no, but I am. I'm on the road. I'm in uh, Texas right now, and so I apologize. I don't have my gear with me. Excellent. What are you doing in Texas? Uh, down here, uh, visiting some friends and family. My folks still live in, 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 here, in Texas. Yeah. I thought maybe you had a big gig at the Gaylord Center or something. <laughs> that would, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm opening up for the uh, Houston Astros today. No. What's really interesting is that you uh, you do a lot of you speak at the social media you know marketing world event every year and you kind of run in that circle and it's really interesting because you came from this corporate and comedy background but yet you're in the social media space. How did that happen? Uh, let's see. I guess it was when I was at, when I was at IBM. Um, um, this is before social media. I started there before social media. And then when we, when social media happened, uh, we were launching the, uh, the, the internet of things campaign, which we called smarter planet. This is like in 2008. And, uh, I, I actually, I think we had the first, we put the first back in YouTube was founded back in 2005. Mm -hmm. In 2006, we, I think we put the first, uh, corporate, at least B2B, uh, comedy series on YouTube. When I was at IBM, so that was it. It was just saying, "Hey, let's let's do a comedy video and see if we can use humor to actually get attention, to cut through the noise, uh, and, and make if we can just entertain people. You know, maybe they'll watch and and, and, and laugh and then share the video. And that's what we did. We made a comedy for YouTube uh, called Mainframe Art of the Sale, and we used it to launch a mainframe blog that we were uh, just starting off. And and like I think, you know, the the traffic on the blog increased like 25 times hmm. so uh it was a, it was a hit for us it worked really well yeah and the rest is history yeah if you guys go to tim's site uh timwasher.com in fact i'm going to put that up here really quickly for you guys to get a look this is the uh the website and uh, as we talk about some of his tips today you'll find out why he is is referenced as uh, uh the comedian mc and and keynote speaker a lot of it, the commercials that he's worked on here with Catherine zeta jones um super bowl ad the onion sports network and uh, here's appearances with John Oliver and Bill, not the science guy, Nye, and, uh, and some other stuff going on here. So let's, uh, let's get into some meaty stuff then. I want to walk away here learning some things. And I know that you have principles that you apply when you, um, are, especially when you have to convince Big Blue 
how to infuse humor into their marketing. And I have no particular outline here for this. I just want to hear some of your thoughts on how we can sell more stuff with humor. Start wherever you like. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I just put a blog post up today on that. Uh, can I, it, it's on the, the site that you just shared. And yeah. Tell I, me uh, it. So it's on your blog. Let me, uh, let me pull that up. Is it how to create a B2B comedy video series? That's the one. Oh, a new article right there, gang, on uh, timwasher.com. Click blog, and this one will come up right here. Let's talk a little bit about this. So I, I, I taught. That's a that's a project that I just did recently. It launched this week, uh, and it was with uh, you know Carlos Hidalgo. He's out your way, a little bit south in uh, Colorado Springs. I do not, but I like his name. So he he brought me on to do. Uh, he has a, a client in the uh, data governance space, and he says, "Hey, let's do a comedy in data governance uh, about data governance." And I'm like, "You know, the, the comedy almost writes itself there." But the the one of the principles is you you start with a customer's pain point. A lot of comedy comes from pain, and so if you sit down and, and meet with a customer or, or get an understanding of what it is that they're struggling with. Uh, and you start exploring that idea a bit, that leads you to a great place to start for a comedy concept. So in this case, Carlos had been interviewing these chief data officers and was understanding that these folks, um, they're still working to get everybody in the organization on board and understanding how important data governance is and how the, the value of trying to, uh, Make sure that you're, you're using all the same forecasts from the same period, you know, with the sales, same, same sales numbers from the same time period. So you're, when you go to sit down and do planning the next year, you have actual data that are correct and accurate. So the frustration for like, like one, of the, one of the chief data officers said, hey, look, I, I, you know, I feel sometimes I feel like I just can't get a break. I can't catch a break. And that was kind of what, just hearing that struggle was kind of what inspired the idea for this series. And we just, I, I play a chief data officer who just kind of struggles through all these situations uh, where he can't get a break. And through that, we kind of tell the story that you run into if, you, if you're not sure all of the data are accurate. And they're just short little one minute videos. We did a series of seven uh, and they're, they're absurd. We just made them totally absurd. But the hope is, and again, these just launched this week, that that will help them get attention and then people will look deeper into the, you know, what this is all about, what, what data governance is all about. That's the idea. It but seems it, like humor is more and more, the, the more serious uh, or the drier the subject matter, the more importance there is in infusing humor. Oh, oh, definitely. Because you're, because there's just, um, it seems a lot of times I think it comes across as being just non-human. It's hard for people. And in B2B, particularly in B2B sales, you know, I think marketers get caught up in this belief that like, look, we have a we have an 18 to 24 month sales cycle. And we're not selling to one person, we're selling to a committee of, you know, 12 people. So it's a committee reviewing this stuff, thinking about making a multi-million dollar investment, like in the case of a mainframe. So we need to be serious. But these people on the committee, they, they are, uh, they're still people and they still go to social when they're spending their time on social media. It's not as a committee. They're not all, not all 12 of them sitting together looking at the Facebook page. And that's what we forget. And, um, I think the idea is how you, how do you make a brand human 
on social media? How do you humanize it so it can connect with those committee meter, committee members as individuals? And, and I think it's a perfect place for humor to play. Yeah. I, I think humor just has the ability to reach us in such a profound way. I was I was recently watching. I love the uh, the film The Greatest Showman. Yeah, just, uh, it just makes me feel good. Most of what Hollywood seems to be putting out these days does not make me feel good, but that one did. And there's the scene in it where um, they're invited. He uh, P.T. Barnum is invited to go see the Queen of England, and he's like, "I'm bringing you know my circus acts with me." And uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Colonel Tom Thumb, right? The 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 small man. Um, what are we, we, they used to call him midget. Now it's a dwarf. And I don't know what the politically correct small person, right? <laughs> Very small person. And, uh, the, they all walk up in the queen, everybody's super stoic. And the queen looks at him and goes, well, you, you know, Oh, you're, you're so, now, uh, my, my, yeah. The, 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 the folks here, the team, the assistant just brought me some uh, headphones. Oh, that's nice. You sound much better. And, Thanks. And you look more handsome. I'm just. <laughs> you see how that works. Something about sounding better. Yeah. Uh, you're, you know. Oh, he's so small. And and uh, Colonel Tom Thumb says you're not exactly reaching the top self, top shelf yourself, sweetheart. And there's just this collective gasp. <gasps> like you know, he said this to the queen, and then she starts laughing, and the whole you know room starts laughing. Yeah. And there's something about humor that's so disarming. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Talk about that. I, I think it, there's uh, some of what the, the keynotes I talk on now, some of the topics are how to use humor to uh, connect through empathy mm -hmm. and the power of humor that allows you to to empathize with a customer. Uh, and some of that real quickly goes back to the whole idea of starting with with pain. If you if you make a joke about the pain that the customer is struggling with. Uh, and the customer sees this video. And if you, you obviously have to really get in that and understand the nuances of what that struggle is about uh, to be able to convert it into a comedy. And it comes across that you really know what the what the pain is, you know, that you that you've had compassion for your customer and dealing with this. And that's uh, that's the power of how uh, humor can connect, because one, it gives you the ability to take on a very um, it diffuses a situation when people laugh they uh, it, it diffuses the situation. They relax a bit. They let go of the stress and the angst in the situation. And that's one thing that's very powerful. So now they're ready to listen and and have a serious conversation about something that could be very, you know, very personal, very dark, very vulnerable. Uh, th that's one value that, that humor. Brings. What bring it hit me with another one. I'm, I'm loving it. Did you lock up on us, Tim? Hey, look at the funny pose he locked up in like or he's he's faking right now and he's not really locked up. He's just going to wait and see how long. Uh, Tim, go ahead and refresh your page since you are presently um, offline there. Your bandwidth. He got a better microphone, but he went just cut him off. Uh, Karen says humor is how I like to approach people. I think it's a powerful tool. Smiles. No frowns i think that that is uh that's spot on so tim what i was saying is go ahead and hit us with uh a second so the, uh when you make someone laugh you've also when you write a joke that works well that shows that you have insight of the topic um and you get make somebody laugh you, you've been able to connect with them on a very personal way 
in, in such so profoundly that they lose control of their body and they just start laughing. You know, laughing is not a voluntary uh, unless you're faking it. It's not a voluntary activity. You you somebody connects with you so deeply in, in something that's so meaningful. It gets into your bones and you just you just have this release. And a lot of time that release comes from um, a payoff that does release the anxiety or the angst or the, the struggle with the situation. It's kind of like uh, a sneeze. You can't help it. It's, it's coming whether you like it or not. That's right. That's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. And um, but of course, endorphins are released with laughter. There's a little bit difference there. And the fact that endorphins are released and we relax and uh, we also feel like if you say a joke that makes me laugh, I understand that you get me on a core level, that you understand me. And so we um, it, it really makes it, it can create this intimate connection between the two of us, you know, certainly in a business context, because you understand me well enough to make me laugh. And that's you, not, you that's not easy. Yes. Joel, that's, it, that's exactly it. Yeah. It was really rewarding yesterday. Cause uh, we were just chatting on messenger and you and I have gotten to be friends. <laughs> I, just, I just naturally enjoy you. And I don't remember what was said, but I think I took you off guard and I oh, said, that was so funny. And, uh, and yeah, it was like, it, it, just made your, you know, your oh, day at that moment because it was this unexpected yeah. release of tension. Yes. Right. That's right. And so, yeah, because you, you taught me it was a I was getting ready for a trip. I was packing things. You know, I was thinking, OK, I got to get up early to go to the airport. All this stuff's in the back of my mind when, when you uh, are pinging me. We're having this conversation and then you totally catch me off guard and I just busted up laughing. And it was such a nice break. It was such a wonderful break because at that moment I just forgot everything. I had this huge smile on my face after after the laugh, mm -hmm. and uh, it just it just put me. It totally changed my mood. It, it helps me in a great mood. You right? It uh, something about the release of the tension that right. happens with laughter. There, there's something else that I noticed. Um, a few you and you and I have had some discussions about you know tough parts of life. And I told you, you know, a few years ago, I went through a really difficult separation and a divorce. Yeah. And I'll tell you, nothing will bring you down more, you know, than broken relationships in your life. And I remember um, I, I had been so down and I came across something. I don't know if I was like cruising damnyouautocorrect.com or some funny yeah. site to make myself laugh. Well, whatever I, I came across made me laugh so hard that I started crying. Not in a yeah. uh, not in a, a laugh cry way, in an actual release of the negative yeah. emotions. And so how are how are those two emotions so deeply connected that one could trigger the other in a significant, I mean, I went to all out bawling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's I, to me, I, I think that's such a gift because uh, to be able to help somebody get to the point where they can have a, a release like that, because I, I you gave me some, um, look, we gave me some, some wonderful advice when we were talking about uh, when I was telling you I was going through a divorce. And it is, it's such a painful, even when it's amicable, it's such a painful problem, uh, 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 thing to go through. And I think sometimes I think, and, and not to stereotype, but I think maybe even more so than men, sometimes we have a hard time, uh, releasing and crying about things and we don't know how to really express that. I know I get stuck in denial a lot 
And so then I don't really experience those negative feelings because I don't want to. I don't want to feel that way. But what happens, I think, is when we're able to have a, just any remote emotional release. You know, none of us or excuse me, many of us, I should say, don't want to cry. We don't. And that's not a pleasant experience. I want to cry. Right Except for you, because you watch a lot of Lifetime uh, TV, don't you? It's a movie of the week. It's a movie Yes, the, um, but but laughter. We all want to. We all want to laugh. So when we laugh and we we have all this pent up emotion, even if it's sad, uh, once we start with that emotional release, it's a little easier for our minds to say, "Look, let me let all of this out." And I, I, I believe that's what happens. And that's that's happened to me too. I, I've had a huge laugh, and then excuse me, and then it just turns into tears um, of of releasing the sad emotions. And I think it's it's so. It's so powerfully healing. A laugh can turn into a lot of things. I mean, sometimes I've laughed so hard that I farted. Yes. Well, that's, you should create an app around that. That's what you want to do. <laughs> right. You're laughing. And yes. It wasn't it, me. It, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's what you need is an app that like throws the sound towards someone else in the room. You know, I, that's so a great you, idea. By the way, the 10th anniversary of I fart happens this December. Can this you, December. Dude, 10, I want to. 10 years of iFart. <laughs> did you see we were on Kimmel a few weeks ago? Oh, you're kidding me. Put that link in the window. Uh, I, I got to find it. He did a segment with kids because um, kids find farts oh, funny. And he took the uh, the iPad out and he had two apps on there. And one of them was another fart app. And then he pulled up iFart and they're showing yes. it. And he's going through the wheel. And I think the reason his producers found it is because we did a celebrity fart pack and we named one of them the Kimmel. The Kimmel. So he played it. He plays the sound, listens. He goes, that's about right. Dude. <laughs> That's a genius yep. move, man. That's a uh, genius marketing move on your part. It was uh, the it celebrity was fart pack. Yes. So there's a lot of people that are, are in business that either don't consider themselves funny or aren't funny. Yeah. So humor for newbies. How does somebody that just isn't naturally witty in a humorous way, how do they begin to allow themselves to be free to interject humor yeah. into their marketing. So I think uh, there, are, there are three things that come to mind right off the top of my head. One, take a improv class, uh, a long form improv class. And don't go in there with the expectation that I'm gonna get out of here and I'm gonna be funny, but it will help you to let go of your inner critic. And that's the first thing you need to do is, is stop telling yourself that you're not funny or you can't write. And that's hard to do. I mean, I still struggle with that. I've been doing this for a long time now, and I still have those voices that get in the way every now and then. But it, once you get to it, when you're into improv and you take a couple of long form improv classes, you study the Herald, you, you, you really get, you, you start to truly believe that, um, Hey, look, there's going to be some stuff here that's real. And the goal is an improv. The goal is tr just being honest. It's being in the moment and it's being honest. And that's what people laugh at. I remember yes, my first. And. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so you're building on it. You're building on what the other person says with yes. And with you're supporting your partner there. Did and I that, tell you that I did that? I'm not sure if I no. told when. Uh, oh, it's been a few years. I thought maybe over tacos one time we discussed this, but um, I did uh, a four week improv workshop followed by a four week advanced, which at the end, 
we put on a show, yeah. right? For uh, anybody that we would dare to invite to it. And I, I realized something as I was doing it. I, I don't think I was particularly funny. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think I can be funny because I, I think I can. I'm a, I'm a clown. I'm 12 years old. And, and it for me, improv comes when I play one character and I do that one character really well. And that's me in the moment. Yes. Um, and so I feel like trying to imagine, maybe it's a, an empathy deficiency in me. I don't know. Trying to imagine myself in the shoes of a circumstance or a personality that it, I've never been able to relate to was really difficult for me. But I found out that I play me really well. All right. So that you just need, you need to just, you know, keep at it. A little more practice. And you will learn to be able to pop into that situation uh, like this. And a lot of it is, Joe, a lot of it's just connecting with the emotion that you think that other character that you're now playing on stage uh, is, is dealing with that emotion and, and then how that emotion comes out or, you know, whether if, and I, to me, I, I believe I, once I started writing comedy and doing improv, you, you observe people all the time. You just start observing people. Hmm. And it didn't take long before I realized, look, we're all broken. We, we have all made huge mistakes that we regret. We are all filled with shame about something that we need to let go of. And that's to me, that's the power and joy of comedy. So you're breaking down right now. You're thinking about what I'm happened in feeling this Dubose's class in fifth grade. I drank yeah. beer 36 years ago. And now that's I <laughs> <laughs> you just lost your uh, Supreme Court seat, but I'm still supporting yeah. you all the way. Damn it, damn it. We're, we're going to get you well, on here. Here's what I am going to do. You know, our uh, our mutual friend, Andrea Vall, is into the stand-up now. Yes. And I've really been inspired by her, and doing stand-up has been on my bucket list. And her uh, mentor is coming to Denver, I think, doing a workshop where I'm in, I'm in Denver, of course, in January. And so okay. I've committed. Um, I, I don't know. Do you think I could pull off stand-up? Because yeah, I know it's I, totally different. It is. It's very different, but I think you would be uh, really good at stand up because you have a strong voice and a strong point of view. Now, once you start stand up, you're going to you're going to feel like you're starting from the beginning and you have to figure out how to fit this into this comic persona. But it won't take you too long before you get it. It took me quite a while to figure out what my comedy voice is, what my what my voice is in comedy. And the way you get there, like going back to your earlier question. In stand-up, the way you get to be funny, the way you start is you discover what your voice is. And the way to do that is to think about the things that irritate you and uh, your pet peeves or the things that make you mad and start writing about those things and write about a true incident that happened where you, where you got uh, upset. And what happens there is once you get upset and angry, that's, that's a very uh, efficient way to get get to a point where you don't have any pretense anymore. You'll start yelling. Sometimes you'll start cussing, that kind of thing. But you're not worried about putting on this impression that might be slightly false, you know, where you're being polite. All that strips away. So that's the power in looking into these things that make you personally angry, your pet peeves. And uh, start with that. Start writing about that. And then, and then you slowly heighten it a bit, you know, about the, whatever it is, the dry clean. What is it that makes you upset the most? What, what's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, I can't talk about it. 
Okay. Can we got anybody from um, online want to toss it out there? Can they? Can they? Because if I talk about it, where it's going to get all angry. All right. Gotcha. All right. We'll stay away from it. But start for everybody on there. I, I'd love it if you take five minutes today after this and write, start writing about your pet peeve or one time you lost your cool and look into why you lost your cool and what is your point of view on why that was for so frustrating. I'll tell you about something that's been uh, getting my goat lately is these spam callers. Like every day oh, yeah. my phone rings with a different phone number that I have to block and I pick up the phone and it's like, hi, this is Ann. Did you know with the new health insurance, you know, regulation, blah, blah, blah. And I block that number or I listen long enough to go push two to opt out. They call again and again and again. And you don't know who it's originating from. Yeah. Mad. Yeah. Well, that look, start there. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this now. But what I would do if I were you and and you weren't on this show right now is I'd write down spam callers and I do webbing, you know, just where you write something down in the middle of the page and draw a circle around it and think of what's next and uh, explore different ideas. Like, who are these people who are calling you? Uh, when are the times that they call you that's most aggravating? Morning. Morning, right. Or, or calling you before you get up, that kind of thing. Or what time, then you start heightening. This, that's an improv approach. It's also comedy writing. You start heightening and exaggerating. Uh, and you think about the situation that would be the most inconvenient for somebody to call. So you might be in a, on a date, let's say, you know, or, or um, uh, you know, let's say you're a newer surgeon and you're, you're having surgery, right? And your cell phone rings, right? As you're getting ready to make this cut close to the brainstem, things like that. And you pick up the phone or you're, you're, you know, an indie race car driver and you pick up the phone. Um, you, you know, those, those, you start exaggerating a bit and exploring these crazy ideas. And that's what leads you to these, these brilliant comedy concepts. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got some people chiming with their pet peeves. Uh, Rob oh, says I did, oh, um, identity theft. Um, Anne says when people mumble, um, Chris, I could really identify <laughs> with this one. Chris bad, Himes. Yeah, bad drivers. Yes. I, I, I have thought for a long time that I want to do a, a, um, a blog piece called, and I, and I was actually, I don't want to say, uh, we'll just say a-hole. <laughs> in the left lane, right? That's the name of the piece. And it goes through all my pet peeves, like the people that you're in the left turn lane and they don't pull up far enough so that when the light is gonna go to yellow, they can make the turn through. It's green, it's green, I'm sitting here at the line. Oh, look, it's yellow. I'm already sitting here. I guess I'll just sit here longer. Uh, I, I wonder how long, how many, how much money people who are not, uh, intuitive drivers cost the economy because they don't stop and think, oh, I'm holding up the person behind me. Yeah. So you explore that idea and you keep, you know, you talk, I would go and talk about the team of mathematicians who you uh, brought together to figure this out. You know, we brought in a team of new math guys from, uh, you know, Switzerland to crunch the numbers. And then you talk about the things that, okay, this is what this team was working on. You know, maybe they were, getting ready to put somebody else on the moon are, uh, 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 you know, solving cancer, but now they're, they're dealing with this issue now. So thank you, bad drivers. You know, this is the problem you're causing. I, I did a bit on once on um, elevators. What used to bug me is when you're on an elevator and um, people, the elevator hits the floor and comes down to the floor and opens doors and people start getting on before letting the people get off. Mm. 
and just the, the absurdity of that idea and getting into the vector physics of why that just doesn't make sense. So, um, yeah, exploring those ideas. Chris Himes, who was just posted that on Bad Drivers, he was a web producer on SNL, as a matter of fact. And uh, I think he drives a taxi now. So that's why he has a problem with Bad Drivers. The Uber driver. Right? He, Uber, yeah, he moved up to Uber, but he, he wanted to go old school. Yeah. yeah what, what strikes me, you know, it's easy to typecast somebody like yourself, right? Because you have this very polished, uh, you know, middle-aged, clean-cut professional, right? But still dim-witted, absolutely, yes. Well, just a little dim-witted. <laughs> um, not like, you know, then you have the com the people that are just outright zany comedians, the, the Robin Williams and the Jim Carreys of the world that have all of this energy and angst and insanity, Right. That just springs forth with charisma. I, I don't I don't have that kind of charisma. But, but see, that that that's not so that won't be your comedy voice at all. It doesn't matter. I'm not care. I'm, I'm like if I'm anywhere on the spectrum, I'd be more like Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright. That's exactly what I was thinking. And I think he's one of the, you know, the most brilliant comedians I've ever seen. I absolutely love that guy. No doubt. Uh, you can't hear me because I'm speaking in parentheses. Right? Yes, <laughs> that's right. So that's that's the thing. It, you you will everybody will find their voice, and while they may may not become a comedian, they'll they'll discover a way to become uh, more funny in 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 the in the person that they are by being themselves. Absolutely. Here's something not funny but true because I've gone down this rabbit hole of comedy with you, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Good to see you. Says I tuned in because of the business angle. More of that. So we need to stop being funny and talk more about it, using it, humor to to make uh to make sales we've already talked about um those who aren't you know naturally funny and you right. your suggestion was go to an improv class and look yeah. what, what are some other tips you would give to somebody to help them do more business by infusing humor in their marketing well you, you definitely need people who know how to write comedy and it's not just writing comedy it's it's if you're going to make a video i think a video is such a wonderful way to um to share comedy because you have so many other that you can bring music in. Uh, you can do a slow pan to pay off uh, a, a joke. You can make all these jokes visual and those translate much better to different languages, that kind of thing. So, um, but you need people who do that. And a lot of times when I work with corporations, we'll put a script together and they'll say, great. Well, you know what we have, we got a great guy, gal who does our videos for us and they're already an approved vendor. And in fact, we got a PO open with them. They film all our town halls and I'm like, have they ever shot comedy? And, and I've, I've lost a lot of great scripts because the client wouldn't say, and now I won't do it anymore. I, I just won't waste time on it because it's just not worth it to create a script that I'm really happy with and then put it in the hands of somebody who doesn't know how to film it. So you need to make sure you bring those people into the organization. And so Jenny, one thing you can do is like go to an improv class and start meeting improvisers and ask them if they would do a freelance project with you mm -hmm. or go to a um, comedy hack right there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There's a, and another one is go to a, a university nearby and meet with a, a professor who might be teaching communication students or film students and see if you can offer an internship for them. Mm. And something is like, Hey, come in and try this with us. Uh, you know, this is not paid right now, but if we use your video and put it up on YouTube, then we'll get whatever a thousand bucks to give to the program. And that's, that's like, because a yeah. lot of people just want the opportunity to hone right. their craft, right? Oh, you, I, I get to work with you and, and help you create something humorous. That's going to help your business. Yes, please. And I can put that on my resume. 
That's that's exactly right. And you can you you never know what kind of talent you're going to find. Like like when I was studying with Amy Poehler and she wasn't on SNL, I mean, she would have been doing projects like this for a hundred bucks. That's a lot of money to an improviser. The first comedy video I did at IBM, I hired my best friend, Scott teams uh, to shoot it and edit it for me. And uh, <laughs> I said, look, I, I just got a job here. I want to try to show them that this will work. If I give you 400 bucks out of my own pocket, will you do that? Will you do it for me? And he said, yeah, sure. So, we were able to, um, the video did really well because we didn't have this committee working on it, you know? It, and again, Jenny, what we did is we, we started with the, the struggles that, um, that we were dealing with. And we just kind of made a script around those kind of, uh, 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 pain points and just exaggerated them and, uh, and, and made that into a comedy script. And, uh, we did it. We shot this guerrilla style in New York city with using IBM, actual IBM executives and uh got it done for like i said 400 bucks now scott has gone on and you know he's won south by southwest and all these film festivals he he now just finished writing uh season four of uh narcos on netflix mm -hmm. i mean the guy's a brilliant writer but again because i started with him early uh he was willing to help me out on this and that's that's why i say go find these you know diamonds in the rough in a in a film program or a communications program at a college and, and you can still find brilliant people they just you know, they, they're not charging you much because they're not proven yet. I think um, uh, our mutual friend, David Nihill, actually wrote oh, yeah. a book uh, yes. called Funny Business. Yes. Um, I spoke, you've probably spoken at his event before as well. Yes. I yes. yes. We, were at, we were at different ones. Who do you uh, refer people to for resources? Because studying this stuff is, is real. You know, comedy, Steve Martin had an album. 40 years ago called comedy is not pretty. Yeah, that's right. It, and yes, it, it was him wearing makeup and a wig and all that being, you know, very Steve Martin. -y. But it's not. It's a lot of blood, sweat and, and work, right? Yeah, the, the blood and the sweat comes in the approval process, typically in a corporation. And for smaller, small, mid-sized companies, oh, man, I wish these people would be doing comedy all the time because you don't have this big approval structure. You don't have this brand police team. You know, you don't have as many attorneys uh, trying to uh, doing their you jobs. Can't Every, say that. That's you right. Can't do that. Every, everybody doing their job there, but it, it, it uh, typically it works against the creative process. So small, medium business companies should be doing a, a heck of a lot more of it. But I I'd say um, uh, one, if you need a comedy concept, these come up, these come to me pretty quickly and, and you can send me an email and send me, keep it short, send me two lines and I'll be glad to just send back an idea to you. Oh, that's really kind of you. Where would yeah. you like people to reach out your, your uh, website or uh, yeah, off the website, they can go to timwasher.com or they can send a note to Tim at timwasher.com. Look at that and, a little contact form right there. Oh, there's you and Ricky Gervais. That's right. That, that was a fun. That dude is, he's hilarious. He really is. That guy's genius. And he, and there's somebody, you talk about somebody who doesn't have a filter or an inner critic. That's him. Now, definitely he goes, um, you know, he crosses a line for a lot of us, but he still comes up with such, such genius, you know, such genius for sure. Well, he's so uh, likable. I remember, I don't remember which uh, awards, it was probably Academy Awards and he said, oh. Thing, super racist and he's laughing at it and he goes it's funny it, it's it's funny because it's racist <laughs> like he gets away with that he does he does that was a that was the emmys about uh 
you know, when it was like uh, 2010 Emmys, I think is what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And he came out and was pretty harsh on a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. But he did get away with it. It didn't hurt him at all, really. No. If you look at marketing campaigns that you think should be studied, that anybody, small business to, you know, mega corps could learn from, which, uh, what comes to mind? Well, Geico is one that comes to mind. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're kind of all over the place from a branding perspective, you know, and, and that some stuff's lost there, but um, they, uh, uh, they still have these home runs. Like I love, love, love the one where people are playing Pictionary and you, you watch these people trying to guess and they're, you know, they're all anxious and urgent and trying to come up with what, what their partner's drawing. And the camera flips around and it's a three-toed sloth slowly drawing a, a tandem bicycle is what, what they're trying to get. And, and in all this time, he's only drew, he's, he's, he has only drawn a, a seat post <laughs> and it's just, it's so genius. And look that there's a formula right there. You, you think about something you want to take, you want to juxtapose two ideas that compete or, or the opposite. So you take a game like Pictionary. What do you need in Pictionary? You need somebody who draws fast. Okay. Well, what's the exact opposite of that? Well, a three-toed sloth. That, that's how you can get to a lot of these concepts pretty easily. And, uh, and it doesn't have to do any, it has nothing to do with insurance. Geico just makes you laugh and pulls you in and you remember it. And now they hit you with a URL to go to or something like it's that. It's disrupting your expectations. I would, you yes. know, since you, since you offered, um, if anybody here, uh, you want to type a comment, uh, in, into the, Oh yeah. What, uh, help, help direct. Okay. Yeah. If, if you'll type a, just a two sentences, a comment that says, here's the problem we solve for customers. And then let us know what industry it is or what the customer is, that kind of thing. And right but, here on the spot. On the spot. Tim is going to write yes. a, a type. scenario for you that you could use. Um, I, Steven is super right about this here. Oops, wrong comment. Squatty Man. potties exploded when they took a funny angle. Yeah, that was uh, our friend uh, Daryl Eaves was, oh, uh, was instrumental on that project. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you can't go wrong with anything with explosions or potty. That's typically going <laughs> to. <laughs> work out pretty well yes okay so type types your your problem you're having in your business um and then uh in, in our final minutes here i want to respect your time i know you're traveling and seeing family and eventually we will let you go but uh until i hit the end broadcast you will remain chained I'm stuck here chair. yes i understand yeah. okay no problem oh, no, you, guys, you guys go ahead with oh the house is on fire yeah no sorry no, not, yeah. No. yeah 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 Come back from later. Come back from my bones. Uh, Laura says, I help subject matter experts podcast. Okay. So uh, we, I need to ask a few more questions about the problem that they're solving, but I'm guessing let's, let's just make some guesses here until uh, we get more detail. But um, so these need, these, each person needs to stand out as a thought leader. Um, and I would imagine one of the challenges subject matter experts face is uh, being able to differentiate themselves from other subject matter experts and also being mindful not to use the same jargon and uh, things like uh, thought leaders, thought leaders, you know, getting away from those terms. So uh, I hate that term, by the way, I, 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 I do too. I think everybody should lead with their thoughts, right? <laughs> Your emotions have a place, but you should start with your brain, right? And that's, you know, 
So Laura says uh, they have imposter syndrome and don't know where to start. Okay. All right. So look, I, I, I struggled at myself, imposter, in, in, in the imposter syndrome for sure. So, but let me step back. Look what Joe, Joe just said, uh, that works too. You, that's a com that could be a comedy script right there is, is talking about, uh, doing a short routine, stand up routine. That's a routine. That's a stand up routine. And you ought to do that in your class in January. What, what did I just say? I don't even remember what, about, uh, you know, how everybody should lead with their thoughts. You're playing oh, yeah. with this idea of thought leader and then spinning that. And, you know, you could have, you could open up with a guy speaking, um, that has his title, you know, Joel calm and then, uh, a lower third that says thought leader. And, and he's speaking, you know, looking at just slightly off angle at the camera, uh, not at the camera, but slightly off angle from the camera talking in the, you know, these big words, huge vocabulary and looks down and sees thought leader and then plays with that a bit and, and just totally shifts into like a second grade discussion. By know? the way, I keep a notepad every time there's an idea. Oh I yeah. Write down things. You got to do that. You know, I, I just moved to uh, Microsoft OneNote and that's treating me pretty well. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So back to the uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. The earlier question. Uh, so let's you, you got to get into the specifics a bit. Like um, so let's say it's a speaker on uh, what block, excuse me, blockchain. I don't know. Sure. Let, let's do that. Let's say uh, I wanted to have a podcast on cryptocurrency and I didn't. But I want to be known in the space and I'm on Laura's show and uh, she wants to, you know, how do I, how do we. So Laura may want to create a video that that she wants to communicate to uh, other uh, subject matter experts, how she helps them kind of humanize their discussion, you know, to, to make it simple and to take out these uh, the cliche out of it. And one thing that's a little obvious that you've seen done one, one way or the other uh, in different formats is um, just exaggerating this idea of uh words like the buzzwords like thought leadership you, you know and having somebody speak and and just throwing all these terms together like paradigm shift uh you know that make no sense but you think that captures people's attention and it doesn't mm -hmm. and so what she could do is just heighten that behavior of someone who is um a subject matter expert going on and on and on and then maybe kind of cut to having this person come back and, and again, speak, just telling one specific story in very simple language that's, that's interesting, uh, you know, that pulls people in, that has some emotion and it gets that point across that they are an expert, but it, it's not using these generic words. Um, you could also, again, kind of have this go to act one where this person again is, you know, in a suit and, and speaking in this language. Uh, that we all hear before that means nothing to us and then cut to this person as a uh, fifth grader. Hmm. You know, all of a sudden this person, she's in the same chair, you know, wearing a little, um, you know, a, a dress like she would in fifth grade and uh, a, having a lunchbox there on her desk, but she's now speaking in very simple language. Hmm. Uh, and that's, I, I would think that's what Laura wants to help her clients get to. And well, and if all else fails, get a three toed sloth. That's that's right. Cast one. Go to the three toast sloth the union. Make sure you're, you're working with a union actor. Um, and, okay. and, and, and Ralph Smith. Like the example you brought up once in one of your presentations about the Center uh, for Disease Control and their zombie advertisement. What? Go ahead and refresh us on what they did. And thanks for bringing that up. She's good at bringing things up. Uh, the uh, I would use the. Uh, Remember that time you were arrested, Tim? Yeah. Thanks. I, I don't wait. Let's not. Talk. 
she's gonna don't show the photos of that aunt um <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, the center, that's a great one. That's a great one. The, the CDC, this was a couple of years ago. They, you know, they have one job. Well, that's not true. One of their jobs in disaster pre preparedness is to remind you to go out and make sure you have the, the pantry and stocked with batteries and, uh, you know, flashlights and candles and that kind of thing. But they, they've been saying the same thing over and over and over for years and people start tuning out. So what they did uh, a few years back when like uh, uh, the zombie shows were all the rage. Um, what's the one on um, Walking Dead? Thank so, you. Yeah. When Walking Which Dead I don't was watch in, because I don't like zombie things. I don't, I don't like zombie things. I don't either. like dead parts and pieces and trainers. <laughs> no, who okay does? And Michael Jackson's Thriller, right? That, but that was because he did it well. It was well executed, exactly. But a lot of people do like zombies, but. What these guys did is they create the, created this little um, packet on how to survive a zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And they played it straight. They just kind of walked you through the things you would need to do when the zombies come. And, it's, and it just happen, so happens to be have water, you know, two weeks supply of water in, in stock and batteries and all the same things I've been telling you, but they're doing it in a fun way. Mm -hmm. And the first, so they set this all up. They, uh, they tweeted it, and I think it was nine minutes after their first tweet, their server crashed hmm. because they had so many people downloading this. And, it, and you know, it made the CDC cool. And, and look, think what when you think about cool and hip and avant-garde, you know, the last place you think about is a federal government agency, right, right in healthcare. But they pulled it off, and, and it was just it was a crazy idea. So. And thanks for bringing that one up. I like that. Hey, if you can help make IBM cool, you can help make. Uh make anything cool uh, one more really quick before we go and that is uh, karen says i'm a cruise specialist i think i actually solve some problems yes. so throw something at, uh, at karen here all right so i'd start with some of the problems that you do solve and and i'd start karen i'd start with specific stories and i'd write down those stories that you remember are they and i'd also talk i have a meeting internally and talk to your other cruise specialist friends and have them do the same thing and you will have a lot of laughter and it will help change the culture of your organization. Now, for me, somebody my age, I think I grew up with a love boat and I think about gopher. I think about the Lido deck. I think about shuffleboard and all of those things. And I, that's where I'd start. I'd play with those ideas of there's people who don't know what you're they have no idea what I'm talking about. That's right. Love, well, go, love boat. Yes. Go to TV land, you know, and that's the thing that if millennials Captain are a big part of your market, Stewie. don't do that. But yeah, Captain Stewie, that's a, he's a he's a legend in my eyes. Isaac the Dude. bartender, Gopher, Julie the director. Yes, all those people. Doc, what about Doc? Doc, what about Doc? He wouldn't do too well uh, in this era, right? Doc now, was a womanizer. He was a player. Yeah, he was. Versions. Like he was making house calls on that boat, and it, there was some breach of ethics going on there. That, that's right. But you know what you could do is is you could do a sketch about that type of character, Doc but how he would be different in, you know, in the modern world, you know, how he would need to, um, the conflict a guy like that would deal with, uh, it all need to be tasteful, of course. But um, I think if you take a guy like that and you put him in uh, the modern world today, you know, it would be kind of funny to look at how that guy's changed. Why would it have to be tasteful? See, this is, here's the thing. I think this um, 
comedians in general, humor has a way of pushing the boundaries and going beyond them. When did we start saying that's too far? Now, I'm not talking about bullying, right? I'm not talking about um, making somebody else's life hell, you know, at the expense of your your humor. I'm talking about, you know, when, when I was young, when we were younger, I would go to uh, Walden books, you know, before we I remember Walden sure. And I would, I, I was, I love the joke books and they were very culturally appropriated Polish joke book, Irish joke book, Jewish joke book, Italian joke book. And, and it's like this stuff, you know, because they were funny. Yeah. Uh, what's happening? Like that's, that's a big, like that's a big, uh, that's a big can you're opening there, but you know, particularly in America, I think we have we have this listening problem, you know, and, and I, unfortunately, I think things have become so divisive, um, uh, you know, since November 2016 that uh, we we um, we it's so important for us to be heard in our point of view. And everybody thinks that way and they stop listening. And mm -hmm. then so, Joel, when you say a joke that's a little bit edgy. Uh, the tendency is for many people is to go right toward back to their message and their stump speech or whatever it is and say, you know what, you see how this hurts our group, what you just said. And it, it's a sad thing. And, um, and again, I think going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the discussion, humor has the power to kind of transcend all this and make us all human again and make us listen again, because um, we can show understanding. You can voice understanding through humor. Uh, you know, Oscar Wilde said, uh, uh, if you're going to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you. And mm. he's spot on. We got to be honest and truthful. That's what improv is all about. And then making people laugh uh, is just powerful. It's such a powerful way to connect and to start a relationship there and say, all right, you understand me enough to make me laugh. I want to hear a little bit more. You've earned the right to hear for me to ask it, you know, uh, to, to, to listen to you. You've earned that right because you made me laugh. You've given me a gift. Okay, so I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. And what a perfect place to end. You've given us a gift, Tim. Uh, thanks for coming on today and sharing with us. Uh, again, if you guys want to go check out his website, and you should, timwasher.com. And if you want to, you know, throw something at him for a, a quick uh, pitch back at you of how you could use humor in your business, go to the website, click the contact form, and there's a little thing you can fill out there. It'll go directly to Tim, and uh, then he will print it out in triplicate and... Uh, <laughs> and send Joel the pink copy. I was going to say use it as toilet paper, but yes. that, it's, you know you have to have the now right. You've crossed the line. You've crossed the line. Cross the line. You have to have the right type of printer paper for that. Yes, you could not is. print on something that would be soft enough for your delicate cheeks. Unless it's dark matrix. You got to do yeah. dark matrix. I'm going to close out, Tim, but uh, don't go away. I'm going to talk to you off the air in just a moment. Thanks Thank so much. And like that, he's gone. But he's not really gone. He's in our hearts where Tim Washer shall live. TimWasher.com, check it out. Thanks for watching the show this week. Got some more great guests coming your way in the very near future. I'm still nailing down who's going to be next week, so stay tuned for it. It's all good. Uh, Mallory, good to see you as well. I see you there. I see you there. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Appreciate it. Until next week, go out there and do some good stuff.